Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Hello, Timberlake. My name's Rick, and uh, I want to greet you from uh, the, uh, the tribe in the South Sound, where I live, in Gig Harbor, and it's really great to be with you. Uh, we're facing the finale, or episode four of It's Complicated, talking about uh, relationships and life, and uh, many of us have observed things that mystify us, right? I mean, we, we still sort of have questions in our mind about different things. Like, for me, um, I've, I've often wondered why the top bar on the boy's bike. You know, like uh, my dad uh, decided, when I first had a bicycle, I had my sister's bicycle, and I was about nine years old, and I was riding it around. My dad said, you gotta get a boy's bike. And I was like, what do you mean? I didn't know bikes were gendered, you know? And, and then he says, no, and he gets me this bike that has a top bar on it. And I think, oh, no, this is a proper boy's bike. Then I hit my first curb. And I'm thinking, who's the genius who put the top bar on the boy's bike? Like, you know, this is a bad idea. So I've often wondered why that was there. There's other things, you know, that mystify uh, um, some of us, you know, um, uh, like, for instance, uh, why the, I've, I've read this, why the word abbreviation is such a long word, stuff like that. Uh, I mean, you know, there's things that just don't make sense. Um, um, I wonder sometimes about, um, you know, let's say, for instance, why uh, psychics don't win the lottery more. You know, uh, just, I'm just mystified by things like that. But I'm not the only one because back in the uh, ancient part of the Bible, there was a, a writer in a place called Proverbs. And the writer, he uh, used sort of this old style poetry. And, and he says, you know, there's three things that, that are amazing and four things I don't understand. This is kind of how he sets his, his phrasing up. And, and here's what it says in Proverbs 30. There are three things too amazing for me and four that I do not understand. The way of the eagle in the sky. This is the first thing he doesn't get. Like, how many of us have, can relate to that? You know, sort of a more contemporary picture. As you go to the airport, you're going to go on a trip, and you look out the window at the plane that you're going to board, and you kind of ask yourself deep down inside, it's still amazing that this is going to take off with all the people and their luggage and the fuel and everything. This giant, uh, you know, metallic bird is going to fly. Because it's still uh, absolutely amazing, the science of aeronautics and all that. Well, this is an ancient observation, uh, a poet who says, man, I still, I cannot believe when I watch an eagle fly. I just don't get uh, all the forces at play in this activity, right? And then he goes on to say, or the way of a snake on a rock, which is actually a science called orpheology. Orpheo is the Greek word for snake, and logos means to study it. So this study of snakes is still alive today, and they're still finding out fascinating things about how snakes uh, have uh, this incredible ability to be mobile, even though they, you know, they, don't, they don't have any uh, legs or arms or anything like that. And uh, th- this writer is saying, and this, to me, uh, the navigation of a bird in the air and a snake on the ground uh, you know, is, is so interesting, right? And uh, then he says also uh, the, the way of a ship on the high seas. And again, that's another uh, uh, fascinating science, the, the whole principle of buoyancy, the idea that uh, some kind of a fluid like, you know, like water would exert enough force to, to keep something floating. You know, how many of you have seen a cruise ship and you're wondering, wow, how did they figure that out? You know, thousands and thousands of people, you know, a 10-story building floating around the world, right? And, and this is the kind of observations that this ancient poet was, was making. And then he throws in this, and the way 
of a man and a young woman. So he's saying, look, man, aeronautics just fascinates me, you know? Or theology, oh, you know, buoyancy and romance, you know, and relationships. And what he's saying is that relationships really are rocket science, all right? Now, if you, if you want to Google this later, and hopefully, you know, probably some of you right now, but, uh, you know, if you put, if you, if you Google uh, marriage and rocket science, what'll, it'll come up, you know, for 10 pages, marriage, it's not rocket science. Marriage, it's no rocket science. There's no, you know, and it's kind of this phrase we have, you know, hey, you know, having a relationship, you know, uh, is not rocket science, but I'm saying, yes, it is. And I believe that the Bible has some fascinating rocket science in it because relationships are complicated. And uh, I, I even think back in my own life uh, when I was single and then when I got married, how things became more complicated even in our house. Like take for one, one place in my house, it was very simple, was the bathroom, especially the shower, just one bar of soap. You know, I mean, I, I was, I'm just kind of a typical guy where it's like, hey, I need to be somewhere in five minutes, I think I'll shower. You know, because showering is not a huge big deal. Like, you know, you just, uh, hey, you know, get in there, you know, soap it up a little bit and then you'll stick the landing and you're, and you're ready to go. Now, I go into the shower at our house, and it's just, um, you know, one corner of our shower is a reconstruction of bed, bath, and body works beyond. You know, it's like it's this amazing corner of uh, exfoliating products and, and uh, shampoos for every day of the week and alpha hydroxy conditioners, and, you know, it's complicated. And, and, and just, that's, that's what I think is true about our lives. And so, to sort of live in denial and say that relationships are not rocket science, I, I think is, in fact, incorrect. So, what we want to look at is this idea of marriage, romance, relationships, and rocket science. Now, I have a friend, I'm actually in a Bible study in Bellevue with an, a real rocket scientist. The guy has been involved in, uh, you know, uh, as an uh, you know, aeronautic engineer and actually developing Saturn V and Apollo rocket systems. So I, I gave him a call and said, hey, uh, I think marriage and relationships are rocket science. So I talked to him about that. And he directed me to some uh, resources. There's actually a guy, uh, uh, Dr. Aiken of the University of Maryland. And this guy's amazing. I looked at his resume. He went undergrad at MIT and then uh, graduate school at MIT. And then he got his PhD at MIT. So like, you know, what I'm saying, really amazing mind. And he has developed uh, and works in a whole uh, a center that's actually called the... Uh, um, spacecraft design center and he has certain laws or axioms or principles so I took a look at those and I just I picked three of them and I realized that this kind of gives us some uh, something to talk to each other about some uh, food for conversation because there is rocket science in the Bible as it relates to our relationship with one another and God and uh, so I, I picked out three different axioms and uh, if you have your notes you can uh, kind of fill those in and then make that sort of a, a point of conversation later. So axiom number one in rocket science is this uh, from uh, Dr. Aiken's list. Do what you can where you are with what you have. Do what you can where you are with what you have. Now some of us are thinking, oh, I thought rocket science was always uh, formulas and, you know, you know, big mathematic, you know, kinds of, you know, physics studies. And I'm sure there's a lot of that, but these are axioms that are about working together with a team, uh, trying to, you know, to make uh, a mission accomplished uh, kind of a process, you know, where you get a, you, you get a manned spacecraft to, to a location and back. I mean, that's the idea here. And uh, one of the things, so I asked myself, well, what does this axiom have to do with building rockets? And uh, my friend was telling me, well, see, whenever they are working, on a, a particular launch or project, um, there's there always this feedback. Uh, we need a bigger budget. 
right? We, we, we can't possibly do this with this, this budget. And then they say, we, we need uh, a longer timeline. There's no way we can deliver this in this short amount of time. Or we need uh, less demanding parameters. There's no way. This is five projects put into one. We cannot do, you know, and so he says that this is an axiom that comes up in these uh, leadership teams and in, in you know, in the world that he works in, in rocket science, do what you can, where you are, with what you have. So really the, the short version of this is deal with it, right? No excuses, but it's, it, it talks about, you know, being resilient in the circumstance. Now, this is a very interesting axiom because uh, uh, I had a chance to meet, in fact, my friend's college roommate uh, way back in the day uh, at Purdue University is uh, Eugene Cernan, who's uh, the captain of Apollo 17, the last man on the moon. And uh, I told you about that uh, last time I was here. I, they just had a brand new uh, documentary about his life, and it's still available. It's really fascinating. And, and uh, Captain Cernan, you know, he was a, a Navy pilot for 20 years before he was recruited by NASA to be an astronaut. And I talked to him about that one day. We were having breakfast together. I had a chance to meet him. And, uh, and I said, now, what was, uh, tell me about the pitch that NASA made to you. You know, you're a, a pilot, and they want you to be an astronaut, and you have no idea that you're suddenly, you know, someday going to be on the moon, right? And uh, he said that the, the thing that was compelling about their pitch is they said, we uh, have a mission in mind, and we're collecting a group of, you know, of people that are going to be able to help us with that mission. And our mission is to land someone on the moon and return them safely. And he said the second part of their mission was really important to him. They returned them safely. He said that he thinks they would have had a marketing problem if they left that part out. But when that was their stated mission, to bring someone to the moon, all right, and then return them safely. And this is what everybody said. We, we need a bigger budget to do that, or we need a longer timeline to do that. And, uh, you know, this is too robust. The, the, the parameters are too demanding. And he actually says that there was an incredible, uh, um, it's kind of a miraculous thing in his view, and he's the one, you know, f- flying the, you know, the spacecraft, that, that they actually made it. Because he said, there, you know, there's more computing power in your iPhone right now than there was in the, in the spacecraft that he was flying. I mean, they didn't have it all figured out. Here's a quote from, from uh, Eugene Cernan. We were committed to the mission, but we didn't have all the answers. So they had just decided, okay, we understand what, what our mission is. So we're going to have to do what we can, where we are, with what we have. We're just going to do our best. Now, to me, this is an incredibly helpful principle because uh, science, especially rocket science, understand forces at play. And this is considered, you know, a force called the force of resiliency or even the force of contentment, being able to do with what you have. And think about that in relationships. A lot of times we have the same thinking in marriage, you know, that, hey, if we, we have to have, you know, a bigger budget, you know, different timelines, you know, this is too, this is too uh, uh, difficult, right? And, and yet, it's good advice that we could do what we can where we are with what we have. In fact, the Bible actually talks to us about that. There's a kind of a rocket science quote in the Bible, and it's uh, in the letter to the church in Philippi, this pastor Paul said, look, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. So this is like the, the force of contentment. He said, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And, uh, you know, strength is a kind of a rocket science word. It means to be empowered or fueled, right? 
He says, because God can fuel me for this, I can find contentment. That's a very important thing for us to think about. Now, Marvely and I, we're, um, I get to be married to her, and uh, this is a, we just did our 39th anniversary, a uh, little get party, fun time in Portland. And so this is where we're at. We're on, we're, you know, to keep it in the rocket science kind of uh, metaphor, you know, we're in our 39th orbit, all right? And uh, so one of the things is that we've done is that we've gone to a lot of different marriage things over time. One of the things we went to, they, we, we all took a little test, and then everybody kind of in a group shared about themselves. And so the test was, you could only pick one of these things. He said, now pretend that you have, you know, the financial wherewithal to hire only one of these people in your life, and pick which one you would hire, or you would, you know, add to your life, and then we were going to, you know, share which ones uh, different people would pick, and then, you know, it tells something about us. And so the list was like this. You could either have a, you know, personal trainer or a chef or a housekeeper or a lawn care or a tutor or a driver or a masseuse or, you know, that whole list of things. And so which one would you pick? Well, so it was my turn to share, and I said, I would definitely, uh, if I had the financial wherewithal, I would definitely hire a driver. I love the idea of just having somebody drive me around while I'm messing around. In the, you know, I like the driverless car idea is awesome for me. I'm looking forward to that, right? And so uh, my wife, she said, you know what? If I could, I would definitely have a chef, a personal chef. I just love to like smell things being prepared and then be invited you know, to a meal that's already made and everything. And we looked at one another, this is 20 years ago, and uh, I said, listen, why don't you drive me around and I'll do all the cooking? And so for 20 years, I've been the chef at our house because I enjoy cooking, and she loves driving, and so she drives me all around. And in fact, it was funny because last night when I, we finished the Saturday night service, I went out to the parking lot, and I jump in the passenger seat, and she jumps in the driver's seat, and somebody saw us, and they go, you were serious? You know, like, yeah, that's actually how we did it. Because one of the things that's helped us in our relationship is to do what we can where we are with what we have. To learn to be content and to, to, to not let what we don't have blind us from what we do have. It's a powerful force. It's the secret, the Bible says, of being contented. And uh, that is rocket science, believe it or not. That's actually one of the axioms in a team that works to deliver on a mission. The second axiom that I wrote down for you is this one. You can't get to the moon by climbing successively taller trees. This axiom, their principle, uh, you might sound kind of curious, like why would that be sort of a rule in rocket science? Well, uh, the concept here is there's a difference between, you know, being off the ground and being in flight. Like if you're in a tree, you're off the ground, but you're not in flight, right? So why would rocket, you know, why would teams of rocket scientists use this sort of saying? What they're trying to say with this saying is like enough on the color of the logo, you know, or, you know, things that are sort of peripheral to the mission. Enough on, you know, trying to decide, you know, what, what kind of, a, you know, the, the meal plan should be. We've got to work on getting this thing off the ground and all the way to the moon and back, you know. So this is kind of their little thing, is if somebody, they caught somebody sort of messing around in, in areas that aren't vital, they would say, look, you know, uh, you know we're not going to get to the moon by just climbing trees that are taller and taller. They were trying to make the point that climbing... Is all about hanging on. You know, if you climb, you got to hang on to stuff. And, you know, flying's all about letting go. It's a whole different thing. So it helps them kind of clarify what they're doing. Now, we live in a culture uh, that's very climbing-oriented, right? The DIY culture. You know, we do it ourselves. You know, we can do this. 
You know, and we, we're sort of taught to climb, you know, in, in our education systems and, our, and even our business communities are sort of based, you know, they kind of uh, sort of give us opportunities to try to climb. And then uh, we, we try to take that into our relationships, especially relationships with God. You know, some people still think that's the way to approach God is to climb your way to God. You know, just keep going to church and doing stuff and pay your dues and figure out and like trying to, you know, behave in a way that gives them some kind of proximity to God. When in fact, that's called religion and not a relationship. And the same thing in marriage. Um, we realize that this saying is, uh, is helpful to us because what they're saying in, in the rocket science community is you don't go the distance on your own. You, you, we need to work on this idea of being launched, you know, and not climbing our way, but flying our way to the destination back. And of course, there's rocket science in the Bible on this one as well. I, there's a, an incredible little verse to the church in Corinth in Greece that Pastor Paul writes, and he says this, by his power, he's summing things up here, by his power, now that's, that's a rocket science word, by his power, you know, because God fueled and, and gave us the ability to launch God raised the Lord from the dead. Raised is another word, you know. I mean, that's another sort of uh, aeronautic word. And he will also, he will raise us also. So that there's this idea that we are going to be empowered in a relationship. What is the power of God in relationships as we see it in the scriptures? It's this incredible force of forgiveness. The, the shame and the guilt, and that's what weighs us down, you know, that keeps us from, and we try to climb out, but the Bible says that God's going to empower that. And uh, most of you are aware, you know, even if you're not rocket scientists, because I'm not either, but uh, just this idea that takeoff takes a lot of power. And then there's boosters that keep, you know, firing to, to, to uh, allow a, a spacecraft to, to find its proper orbit. And this is a good picture of what God does in our lives. Forgiveness, the incredible force of forgiveness, a force beyond ourselves, some of you know that uh, Billy Graham is still around, you know, but his wife, Ruth Bell Graham, she passed away, and they were married 64 years, and she's credited with saying this, that um, sort of like the secret or uh, the, the, the characteristic of a great marriage is two good forgivers. That's the power in a relationship that, that gives it the ability to, to, you know, have, go the distance you know, and, and forgiveness is a remarkable power. Even forgiveness that uh, defies death itself. That's what this particular verse is about, that God raised Christ from the dead. He's talking about the resurrection, right? Not even death could hold us down because of this remarkable power that God pours into our lives. So there is rocket science axiom number two right out of the scriptures. The third rocket science principle is this, and it kind of shows, this is, a, this is actually rocket scientist humor. There ain't no such thing as a free launch. A little play on words there from the guys with the uh, pocket protectors and all the pens, you know. But yeah, they're saying like, look, um, you know, it's expensive. It's at great cost that we're able to, to do these remarkable things. And just so you know, to put it in today's dollars, if Apollo 17, which we had mentioned, you know, uh, Captain Cernan was the pilot of that, and, and if we were to have that happen today and pay for it in today's dollars, it would be $150 billion for that mission. And that's the reason we're not seeing a lot of those missions right now. But uh, that's the kind of cost that these remarkable endeavors uh, actually took. And 
Yet, what they're trying to say with this, this little joke, this little saying, there ain't no such thing as a free launch. What they're saying is somebody pays, right? Somebody has to pay for this. And it's true in our lives, especially our spiritual lives. In just a few minutes, we're going to receive communion. And this is a, an opportunity to come and take a, a piece of bread and, and, and a cup. And, um, you know, the Bible says we should remember the cost of this relationship that we have been offered by God. Now, we're offered a relationship with God freely, but it was at great cost that this came about. I had a chance to uh, visit a church in Hawaii, and the reason I went there was um, I found out about, about this church, like, I pastor this church down in Gig Harbor, and we're kind of Timberlakey type church, you know, um, and, you know, but we have, like, a lot of people who come to church, and then we keep telling people, you should be in small groups, because that's really where the life of the church is, you know, where you get to know people and you do life together. And most churches, more people show up on weekends than are actually in small groups. But I heard about this church in Hawaii where there's more people in small groups than show up on the weekend. Like more people invite their friends and their neighbors and stuff to, to a small group at their house, and then some of them happen to go to church on the weekends. And I thought, this is, I think, the way it should be. This is awesome, right? And so I want to go visit. And so I contacted them and said, hey, can I come check this out? Yeah, they were so cool. And then they invited me to, to one of the small groups. So I'm in Kaneohe on the island of Oahu. Some of you might know where that is. And, and uh, there was a Honolulu police officer, Mr. Kalama, and he invited me into his home, he and his wife, and they hosted their small group. So I'm sitting in the corner, you know, just being a, an amazing Hawaiian food, by the way, right? And so we're having a great time. And they invited their neighbors who were Buddhists. They said to their neighbors, hey, we do this Bible study. And, I, you know, and they said, yeah, we know nothing about the Bible, but, uh, you know, you're welcome to come. They go, yeah, we're kind of curious, so we'll come over. So we're doing this, they're talking, and, and kind of the idea that night was about the fact that God offers us this relationship for free. And that's why it's called grace, and some people call it amazing grace, right? And so that was kind of what we were talking about. And after a while, um, our host, Mr. Kalama, he said to these folks that were guests, he said, you guys have any questions or, you know, any comments about what we've been talking about? And they said, well, you know, it's interesting to us because here's the thing. The way we see things, um, when something's free, it has no value. It's like it's worthless. Like, hey, you know, if somebody wants to give you something free, it's like, yeah, because you don't want it because it's, it's not worth anything. And so, you know, this is kind of the question on the floor. And, of course, I'm in the corner like I'm the pastor guy. And I'm thinking, put me in, coach. You know, I want to answer this question, you know. But uh, our host did such a great job. It was just amazing, you know. And he like, he kind of, he was in a recliner, you know, and he kind of cranked it up. And he, and he said, uh, oh, he goes, hey, I totally hear what you're saying. It makes sense that if something is free, you know, it's cheap, worthless. It's, it's not worth anything. But he said, I think we're telling the story incorrectly because here's the thing. It's free to us, but not to Jesus. It was at great cost. He gave his life so that we could have a relationship. And he offered that relationship freely. But he paid. And the Bible has this very same thought, which is another rocket science verse in a letter to the Corinthians. First letter we have in chapter 6. Paul says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? What he's saying there, the temple idea means property. It's, you know, you belong to God. Paul is saying, don't you know you belong to God? Yeah, because um, the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God, right, resides in your life, and that's a result, he said, it's not what we did. 
It was not on our own. We were bought with a price. And he begins to explain to them that it was at great, great price that we came to receive this offer of forgiveness for free. And that's why when we, we take this bread and it signifies his body which is broken for us and the cup, his blood which is shed for us, it's, we are remembering at what cost we can come. You know, we do a pretty good job of remembering the birth of Jesus, right? I'm sure Costco's already got all the Christmas stuff up right now. I've been over there recently. But, like, you know, we're big on Christmas. But you know what? The Bible doesn't actually say don't forget to celebrate Christmas. What it says is remember. And it says we should do this often. We should take, uh, you know, uh, food and, and, and make it a celebration of and a reminder of what it costs us. So that's what we're going to do today. It's an important uh, part of our practice. And it really is rocket science. Because there is no such thing as this kind of force called the Holy Spirit for free. It was at great cost. So our understanding of romance and spiritual relationships really do benefit uh, from rocket science. And it is complicated. The questions that are important for us to ask ourselves is, what about that force of contentment? in your life and mine. Are we always looking at what we don't have and blind to what we do? Should we th think about that? Uh, what can you do where you are with what you have? And one of the things that you can do is uh, you can take advantage of opportunities. Like I've already heard, we heard on the screen just a little while ago, there's a marriage group. They just had an advertisement for it on the screen, you know. This is a beautiful thing that's being offered, right? And I talk to some people because I get to be a pastor guy. I get to, you know, be involved in people's lives. And every once in a while, there's somebody who's been, you know, married forever. You know, like we had a, a couple that had been married 70 years. And uh, so, of course, everybody always asks them, what's the secret, right? And what's, you, you got any advice for us, you know, 70 years? And first of all, you can say like, you know, hey, are you, hello, are you still there? Because that's a long time, you know. And, uh, uh, but... You know, what they, they said was, we, we worked on it. Like, you know, we just, every chance we had to do some kind of a relationship assessment or, you know, to go to a class or to attend some, you know, deal or to, you know, take off and be together. We, you know, we did this thing. We, we took what we had, where we were, and, you know, we paid attention. I think that's good advice. And that is rocket science because, you know... Uh, my friend said one of the things that makes uh, rocket science such a heavy responsibility is because if they don't get it right, somebody dies. Everybody feels that. If we don't get this right, somebody dies. And in our own relationships, we have to realize that we have responsibility. We, we need to really think in detail about what's up in our relational lives so that we don't have uh, relationships dying, you know, and things going away. And I think that's important. What about that force of forgiveness? It's incredible power of forgiveness. Where's that at? Is that in play in your life and mine? And uh, this power that God offers us at his expense um, is something that we have to receive. We have to say, yeah, God, do this thing. Launch me. I'm tired of climbing, right? I mean, you know, boost me into another orbit. You know, do empower me. It has to be an external force. It's I can't do it. Um, do it yourself doesn't cut it, right? But that's the advice we get a lot of times in our culture, so we have to rethink that. It is complicated. It is rocket science. 
But thank God that the Bible actually is full of remarkable axioms and principles that line right up with that. So just before we receive the bread and the cup today and we celebrate together, could I have a prayer with you? I thank you, God, for every person here. I thank you for uh, all the relationships that we represent. And even though I can see where everyone is seated, um, of course, you know where we live. You know every detail of our lives. I thank you that uh, you have empowered us, that you give us the ability to, to, to go into a, a different orbit and to experience the power and the force of contentment and forgiveness and even redemption. So that's why we gather and we, uh, we sing songs about your greatness. So we pray, God, that you would um, take your word and allow it to um, you know, do uh, its work in our hearts and minds as we have conversation with one another and continue to follow after you. And we thank you for a place like this to be today where we celebrate your death and your resurrection at your table. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting timberlakechurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.